Well, good morning. What a beautiful day it is today, isn't it? And as we enjoy a day like today, it's a reminder of this, this little gift that we get today of this wonderful weather, a reminder of all of the much greater gifts that God has given to us as his people, and we celebrate in all of them, and we celebrate what he has done. Uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. We read that earlier, and so if you want to turn there in Bibles, devices, whatever it is that you have, as Joel mentioned earlier, over the course of the last year, we've been walking through the book of Romans, and we split it into four different sections, and we've taken breaks between each of those sections, and today we come to the final section. Uh, the next few weeks, we are going to be looking at Romans Road Part 4, the last few chapters in the book of Romans. And I'd love to just pray for us for a moment before we dig into the Word of God. Father, we're so thankful for your Word. And Holy Spirit, we ask right now that you would be working in our hearts and minds in order to bring encouragement, conviction, understanding, whatever we need, we ask that you would speak to us out of your living Word right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the things that we need to understand in order to understand our passage today is that when we believe something, it always impacts how we act. If we believe something, truly believe it, it'll always impact how we act. As my wife and I were on our way here this morning, I approached a red light and I stopped my car. You know why? Because of my beliefs. I have certain beliefs, and those beliefs lead to action. For example, I believe that God wants me to obey the laws of the land. Therefore, I stopped at the red light. I believe that there could be a police officer that will give me a ticket if I run the red light. Therefore, I stopped at the red light. I believe that when I have a red light, the cross traffic has a green light, and if I pull out into the intersection, there could be a whole world of hurt. Therefore, I stopped at the red light. The things that we believe always impact the way that we act. I, I believe that stopping at the red light is right and safe. Therefore, I do it. Right? Do you notice the word, way the word therefore is operating in each of these sentences? I believe something, and because I believe it, therefore, certain actions flow out of those beliefs. And when we look at Romans 12 through 16 over the course of the next few weeks, I want us to recognize those are the actions that flow out of the beliefs that we've talked about in Romans 1 through 11. The focus of Romans 1 through 11 is what we believe. The focus of Romans 12 through 16 is how we act in light of those beliefs. And so what word would we expect to connect the first 11 chapters with the last five, it's the word, therefore. I appeal to you, therefore. Because you believe the gospel, you're going to live a certain way. Because you believe Romans 1 through 11, therefore you're going to live according to the appeals of Romans chapter 12 through 16. Now before we get to those appeals and the way that we're going to live, let's take a moment and just remind ourselves of the core beliefs that we've talked about in Romans 1 through 11. 
And to help us through this, once again, I'm going to bring back some kindergarten drawings that I've used throughout. So when we look at the core principles of what we've seen in Romans 1 through 11, first of all, we understand that we have all sinned. God made us to be like his character. If we represent that with a circle, we were meant to be little circles. But instead, we're all broken and messy with sin. Because of that sin, we've experienced death, separation from God. Because of our sin and our disobedience, we're told in Romans that God's wrath or his proper punishment rests upon us on the day of judgment. But we also saw that because of God's great love, Jesus died for us so that we could be freed from our sins and no longer under that penalty of sin, that wrath of God. And so, for those who place their faith in Jesus, their account before God looks like the character of God because it is filled with Jesus' righteousness. Not my righteousness, Jesus' righteousness has been credited to my account according to Romans chapter 4. So I now have the righteousness of Jesus in the courtroom of God. Not only that, God has gone to work through the work of his Holy Spirit on my life day in and day out. If you have faith in him, then his spirit begins to daily make you more like Jesus, right? That's what's represented by that saw. He's cutting off the rough edges of sin, pounding out those dents in your life so that you become more like Jesus day in and day out. And finally, those with faith in Jesus will be totally like him one day. Our account right now is filled with the righteousness of Jesus, and one day when we see him face to face, our daily life will be filled every moment with the character of Jesus as we dwell with him in heaven. That is the, the good news of the gospel that we saw in chapters 1 through 11. And now Paul says, therefore, because you believe the gospel, you'll live according to the things that we see in chapter 12. And what is it that we see in chapter 12, right? What's the big idea? We believe the gospel, therefore, we give our lives completely over to God. Right? What, what was that song that we just sang a couple minutes ago? Right? We, we give it all to thee. Everything is yours, Lord. And if we believe the gospel, then we will give our lives completely and totally over to him. It is a result of believing the gospel for every person who ever truly believes the gospel. We give our lives totally over to him. Now, what does that look like? A life totally given over to God? Well, in chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, he outlines three things. First, it means giving your body to God. Verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. First of all, what it means to give ourselves completely and totally over to God is to give our bodies completely and totally over to God as a sacrifice. What was a sacrifice in the Old Testament? Sacrifice in the Old Testament was giving up of something that was a part of my household in order to give it over to God. I released all right, all benefit from it, and gave it over completely to God. And so I would look at a little sheep in my flock and I would think about, 
all of the benefit of the wool that might come from that sheep, or all the ways that that sheep might feed my family, or all of the entertainment if I could train that sheep to dance, or whatever is going on in this picture. So adorable, though, I couldn't help but use it. And instead of me benefiting, I would say, nope, I'm giving that as a sacrifice. I give up all the benefit, and instead it is going completely and totally to you, Lord. And what we're called to do here in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, is to give our bodies as living or daily sacrifices over to God. To die to the fleshly desires that I have and instead use my eyes, my ears, my mind, my hands, my feet completely for God's purposes. Now, I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you. Yes, we all face a challenge in this area. Right? And that challenge comes from my flesh that craves things that I want to do with my body. It craves things that are selfish, things that are unhealthy, things that the world says that I need. Paul talks about this, this battle or this war that goes on between God's commands and desires and my fleshly selfish desires. A few chapters ago in Romans, he says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Yes, but I see in my members. That is, Paul uses this phrase about the members of his body. I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Paul says there's this constant battle going on. And while I can tell you right now, I want to do completely and totally everything that God says with my body, there is this other force at work. And it desires for me to give in to selfish and lustful things with my body. It's a battle with all of the members of my body. It's a battle with my eyes. Am I going to do what the Lord calls me to do with my eyes or what the world is calling me to do? It's a battle with my ears. Am I going to listen to what God would have me listen to or what my flesh desires to listen to? A battle with my hands and what I make, with my feet and where I go, with my tongue and what I say. It's a constant battle going on between what God calls me to do and what my fleshly, selfish desires want to do with my body. And what I want us to understand, this is so very important, is that when you recognize that battle in your life between God's design and, and your fleshly, selfish desires, and you choose God's desires, that is pure spiritual worship. Did you see that in Romans 12.1? Pure spiritual worship is the choosing of what God desires, right? Choosing God's way in the midst of the battle. That's pure spiritual worship. We have a tendency to think of worship as singing songs or praying prayers or reading the scripture, and all of those things can be worship. But what this passage says is the purest spiritual worship is when we see God's desires and we have our own fleshly desires, and we choose God's way. Right? That is the purest of spiritual worship. Because loving someone else means to put them first, doesn't it? Loving someone else means to choose them. And that's what we're doing here. Uh, if my wife and I want to go out to eat after church today, and my wife's desire is to go to Chipotle. She wants her burrito bowl. 
And I have no desire whatsoever to go to Chipotle. Instead, I want to go to Z's and get breakfast. I want some of those hash browns. And she has no desire whatsoever to go to Z's. What do I do in that situation? Well, <laughs> you guys are terrible people. I could try and convince her that I'm right. <laughs> yeah, that is funny. <laughs> yep. We could split up. She could drop me at Z's and go to Chipotle and come back and get me. We could compromise and go to Devani's. But we recognize that the purest love that I can show in this situation is to go where she wants to go even though I don't want to go there. Right? To choose to put her first in this situation. And because it is that purest love to put the other first, it is the purest worship that we can give to God because worship is about our loving and honoring God. And so we put him first when we come to this decision between God's design for how I use my eyes, my ears, my mind, my tongue, or my fleshly desires, I choose him. And that is love and worship for God. Love and worship for God. And, by the way, every time I choose that, it also happens to be what's best for me. That's the way God's made it. I choose what he wants over my fleshly desires, and I actually get what's best for me each and every time. That's so beautiful. Right? Love puts the other first. And pure spiritual worship is what? Choosing God's commands over my fleshly desires. And so, again and again, we seek to choose what God wants with our body. We give it fully and completely over to Him. Give your body to God. That is how we give ourselves over to Him. Do you want to get better at that? I think that verse 2 and the practice of verse 2 helps us get better at verse 1 and the practice of verse 1. Because not only do we give our bodies over to God, this passage says we also are to give our minds over to God. Uh, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world. God is saying here, I want my people to be in active rebellion against the ways of the world. I want my people to be in active rebellion against the ways of the world. Don't be conformed. The word for conformed there means to, to press into a mold. It was often used of a mold that was used in, in metalworking. Now, I, I got to tell you, I haven't worked a lot with metal, but I am very familiar with this idea of a mold because I have made a lot of waffles over the course of my life. And, and it works the same way, right? You, you pour the batter in and it presses it into a particular mold. Each and every time you pour the batter in, uh, you know, unless you're really bad at pouring the batter, it presses it into this exact same mold. What if you wanted a, a round waffle? Too bad, right? That's not the mold. What if you wanted a star-shaped waffle? Too bad. That's not the mold, right? It presses the batter into the same mold every time. 
And Paul is warning us, the world is seeking to press you into a particular mold. Each and every person, it wants to press into a particular mold. What does that mold of the world look like? It's a mold of selfishness. Putting myself first. My happiness is the primary priority. It's a mold of coveting. I'll only be happy if I have what they say I need or what you have. It's a mold of complaining. Things didn't go right. I'm going to whine about it and grumble about it and complain about it. It's a mold of lust. Whatever my heart desires, whatever my libido desires, I need to run after that if I'm going to have fulfillment in life. It's a mold of hypocrisy. No matter how much things are breaking down, no matter how much I'm hurting on the inside, if I just put up a good veneer on the outside, people will think I'm okay. It's a mold of harmful speech, tearing others down behind their back or to their face. This is the world's mold. There are so many more words that we could put on that list. But that is a sample of the world's mold that it wants to press us into. And instead... Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, we're not to be molded. We're not to be conformed to that mold. Instead, we're to be, what is the word? Transformed. Right? Transformed. What does God's transformation look like? Well, it looks like the exact opposite of the world's mold. Right? When God gets a hold of our lives and begins to transform us, instead of selfishness, we begin to grow in love. Instead of coveting, we begin to grow in contentment. Instead of complaining, we begin to grow in mouths filled with rejoicing. Instead of lust, we grow in self-control. Instead of hypocrisy, we grow in confession and honesty and openness. Instead of harmful speech, we grow in praise and encouragement. The Holy Spirit begins to transform us out of the mold that the world wants to press us into and into the likeness of Christ and what he is like. That transformation is a process. Right? That transformation is a process. The word for be transformed is the Greek word metamorpho. It's kind of a fun word to say. Right? Metamorpho. And it is in a particular tense that implies ongoing action. It's not that you are one time transformed, it is that there is an ongoing process in the life of the believer where the Holy Spirit is at work in you, bringing continual transformation in your life, making you day by day more like Christ. And how does that happen? Through the renewal of your mind. The Holy Spirit brings transformation to us as our minds are renewed. That's part of the reason Paul writes this very important command to the Philippians. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, if there's anything that is of God, think about these things. Right? That's the command of the passage. Think about these things. Focus your mind. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. He'll bring transformation into your life. But what is your role in the process? Focus your mind on the things of God. 
That's why Colossians chapter 3, verse 2 says, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. What is our role in the transformation process? Set your mind. Focus your mind. Make sure your thinking and the things that you're bringing before your mind are of the Lord and not of the world. That, that's our job. And then the Spirit brings transformation. The Spirit is like a master chef. And the master chef can produce all sorts of culinary masterpieces. But if the ingredients that I choose to give the Spirit tomorrow are old tires, smelly socks, refuse from the garbage dump, he's not going to make culinary masterpieces out of those things. He's not going to make culinary masterpieces. If I devote my mind tomorrow to the things of the world, the Spirit doesn't use that refuse, that garbage, in order to bring about the transformation that God wants in our life. He brings about transformation when we set our minds on the things above. When our minds are focused on the things of God. He is a master chef in our life, desiring to bring about these, these beautiful dishes of love and joy and peace and all of these good works. But in order for him to produce that, we're responsible to bring the ingredients of focusing our minds on the things of God. We can't put garbage in and expect that the Spirit is going to transform that into something beautiful. It's not the way that God has designed it to work. That's why he says in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, do not be deceived. Right? There's a potential for deception here. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit reap eternal life. We, we sow the things of God into our mind and God's Spirit uses those things in order to produce this beautiful transformation in our lives. The beautiful fruit that we desire in our lives. And so what is our role? We give our minds fully and totally to Him. Right? We give our minds fully and totally to Him. What does giving your mind to God look like this week? Take a moment and just, just think about that. What is giving your mind fully and completely over to God this week? We, we just sang the song, all of me, take all of me, Lord. What does that look like with your mind this week? The Lord taking everything. Take a minute and think about that. If we believe the gospel, we give our bodies fully over to the Lord. We give our minds fully over to the Lord. And finally, we give our service fully over to God. Uh, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. If I think in the world's ways, I may be tempted to think of myself more highly than I ought. The world is regularly communicating to us a message that life is about us, that we are the center. But if I believe the gospel, then I recognize life is all about him. 
I have no ability to do anything that can save myself. I am completely dependent upon the grace mentioned in the first sentence and the faith that he gives me in the last sentence. It is all about him and his goodness, and everything is focused on him. And so I don't think of myself more highly than I ought. I think of God first and foremost in everything. And as we do that, we recognize all of the gifts and talents that we might have in this life are to be focused on Him uh, and serving Him and, and, and accomplishing the mission that He has given to us. And so He goes into those gifts. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving one another, uh, serving the one who, in our serving, there we go, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. What we have here is a sample of the gifts that God gives to his people. That sample includes gifts of prophesying, Speaking God's word into a particular situation. Serving, seeing a need, and meeting it. Now you might be saying, wait a minute, aren't we all supposed to serve? Aren't we all supposed to see needs and meet them? Yes, absolutely. But some are particularly gifted by God to be effective in this area. Teaching. We're all supposed to teach and admonish one another, Colossians says, but some are particularly equipped at teaching for the sake of the body. Exhorting, a word that means to come alongside and encourage. Well, aren't we all supposed to come alongside and encourage? Yes, but some are particularly equipped by God to be effective in this area. Contributing, this is a word that means to give of your financial resources sacrificially. Wait. Aren't we all supposed to give of our financial resources sacrificially and joyfully? Yes, but God has equipped some particularly to bless the body in this way. Leading, we all lead in some capacity in some ways, but God has equipped some to lead the body. Showing mercy. Only people with the gift have to show mercy? Right? No, God calls all of us to show mercy. Are, are you getting the pattern here? Right? God calls all of us to show mercy, but he has gifted and equipped certain people for whom it comes more naturally. Certain people who are more effective at showing mercy. Uh, this list of gifts is just a sampling of the gifts that God gives. We know that because there are other lists that include other gifts. And the point of the gifts as we see it here isn't to get focused necessarily on which gift is mine, which gift is yours, and how they're different. The point of the gifts is to use them. Verse 6, use them. Right? Use them for the sake of the body. Gifts are only useful if they're used for the sake of helping this team. Uh, this fall, the Vikings are going to play their first game. And in that game, a, a man named uh, Christian Derisaw is going to, barring injury, play left tackle for them. Christian Derisaw is a mountain of a man who can bench press a dump truck. <laughs> right? and, and it is his job 
to protect the quarterback's blind side. Now what if Christian Derrissaw gets out there in the first game and decides he's just going to watch? Oh, there he goes. Oh, that's a bummer. Right? And Cousins just gets crushed over and over and over again. How's that going to go? The Vikings are going to get obliterated. You have to hold jokes until the fall about all of that if you've got them, Packers fans, all right? Darisa has all kinds of, of gifts, all sorts of, of talents, but they're only useful if he uses them, if he goes out there and uses them for the sake of the team. And, and that's God's call to each and every one of us. You all have different gifts and different talents, and God's call is that we would use them for the sake of winning. Now, winning for us is very different than winning for them. Winning for them is putting up more points on the scoreboard than the opponent. What is winning for us? Winning for us is growing as disciples of Jesus and making more disciples of Jesus. And so we are to dedicate our gifts and our talents to the game plan. Making disciples and growing as disciples of Jesus. Is there any way that God is calling you to greater service with your gifts? Have you ever heard of the 2080 rule? Right, the 2080 rule states that in any organization, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. You familiar with that? Right. That should never be true of God's people. Right, God's people should be 100% of the people using their gifts and talents for the sake of God's good mission. And I am so thankful that here at Friendship... The 2080 rule is not operative. Uh, we had a, a volunteer recognition a couple of weeks ago. 650 people that are a part of our ministries that were a part of that volunteer appreciation. 650 people. Right? What, what a blessing as people use their gifts and their talents in order to do the work that God has given us, the great mission that he has given to us. Why do we do that? We do it because we believe the gospel. Right? We believe the gospel. Therefore, we serve with our lives. We serve with the gifts that he's given to us. What is the big point that we see here? We believe the gospel, Romans 1 through 11. Therefore, we give our lives completely and totally over to God. We give our bodies to God. We give our minds to God. We give our service completely and totally over to God. Each week, we take the Lord's Supper together. And I hope there is uh, never a time in which our minds turn off when we take the Lord's Supper or, or our hearts turn off. Because what we do when we go to this table week in and week out is we review what we believe so that it will impact how we live over the course of this week. So let me invite you right now to just bow your heads, and as we prepare to go to the table, let's review the things that we believe. Take a moment and just confess your, your sinfulness before the Lord. Take a moment and recognize the penalty that was rightly yours because of that sin and disobedience before God.
praise God for sending his son Jesus to take your penalty and to free you from the power of sin. Thank Jesus that he became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the very righteousness of God, that our accounts are righteous before God in heaven. Give thanks for the Spirit's work in your life day in and day out. thanks for the hope of heaven and all that we look forward to as we become like Jesus fully in character. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, we want you to join us at the table today. We'd love for you to take the bread that represents his body and the cup that represents his shed blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And, and after you go and pick that up in the corners of the room, you can return to your seats and uh, I'll go ahead and lead us through the taking of those elements in just a moment. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful for your goodness, for the sacrifice that you've made, for what you've done on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen.